Hey, this is Jess, and thanks for joining us on our deep dive review of Till the End of the Moon. My guests and I actually had a lot to say, probably 10,000 years worth, and we ended up recording a three and a half hour episode. But instead of getting it down, we just decided to release it in two parts. This second and final part is a continuation of our juicy, spoiler-filled discussion. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Let's talk about these eras and what kind of stuck out to us and some bits of the plot that were super compelling to us. So the first bit of the show is like, what, episodes one through ten or so, where she goes back in time and she meets Tentai Jin. She's been torturing him, evidently, as yes, she would. She had no idea that this uh, incarnation of her is like pure evil. And uh, you get like these very complex feelings from Susu where she's like, is it that he is evil or is it that he was made evil because of all of these terrible things that happened to him? Because he's just got such a tragic life. So I like this theme that they introduce in the first few episodes, which is like, is it's nature versus nurture, you know, is it, how much of his becoming the devil god is about his foul mistreatment and the injustices that he suffered so that he would naturally come to hate the world or is he just always a vehicle of sin and chaos and there's nothing they can do to change it so i love this theme did you have any thoughts on the nature versus nurture theme that they sort of introduce in her growing feelings coming from pity first um I think they did really well with like the theme of nature versus nurture and actually I think that applies to Lee Susu as well because if you really really think about it right if she had been uh, raised by her bio dad her whole character would have been a whole different character whole different character and I know you've got later on on the episode like quotes and one of my favorite quotes is like her love letter to her adopted father Mm. right at the end and I feel like with Tantai Jin that is even more prominent is it nature like is it in his nature to be evil or is it like nurture is it the fact that nobody ever showed him kindness you know everybody every single person he loves betrays him Mm -hmm. like there is not one single person in this drama that doesn't betray him even like his closest aide uh from his tribe ends up betraying him albeit for a good reason like i understand where he's coming from but i feel like you know tantai jin is this character where He's trying so hard to be good because that's inherently, I think that's what he is as a character, but it's all of these circumstances that just keep pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. And um, I really did enjoy that arc of seeing what, you know, is it nature? Is it nurture? Is it like this plan of everybody to get him to a certain point, um, you know, going to work. Because I I said this, um, I thought that while, while I was watching, 
I always thought that Tantai Jin is a precious character for everyone in terms of he is the major chess piece because he's a human, he is a devil and he's an immortal. He's all three. Mm -hmm. Nobody is like him in this drama. He's all three of them. And whatever choice he makes, because he is the only one who has like those three you know, backgrounds of sorts, whatever choice he makes, that's the way the pendulum is going to swing in terms of power. So I feel like, you know, everybody kind of wants to push him a certain direction. And ultimately, it's his choice. So it was really, really good to see him going from this character who has absolutely no feelings to him slowly getting to make his own choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that was my thoughts on it. Speaking of choices um, and him, like he was born with no love threads and he can't feel hate or love or fear and all that stuff. It was very like Dong Bang Ching Sang of him yeah. from Love Between Fairy <laughs> and Devil. But I love that they say what his name means is that Jin means ashes. So his name was basically a curse from the gecko, Tantai Jin. Mm. And I wish that they, you know, we can talk about the ending in a in a bit, but they don't circle back on him being like rising from the ashes, almost like yeah. a phoenix. But um, I like that they establish as they establish him as a psycho psychopath in the first few episodes because he's imitating human emotions and he's using the crown prince as a blueprint and he's just doing going through these motions, hoping that he'll get the same result as Shaolin does in his own life. And to me, that also establishes that he's a student of life, right? He's constantly looking around him and observing. And it's no wonder that he learns so much from Ye Wu as Susu or whatever. And her fostering him and teaching him how to love and being close with him and showing him kindness, making sure he doesn't die on a baseline level. Um, all of that really affects him and it's opens him up to a whole new world. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Caitlin, with Tentai and the first few episodes and like the beginning of his arc? Um, I also think it speaks to like prejudice that everybody else had like everybody else had Mm. this preconceived idea that he was a cursed person or the devil god reincarnated or just a bad guy and so Mm -hmm. i think it also the story did a very good uh way of showing the fact that like Yes, he was all, he somewhat, it was always written into him. Um, Lillian, you spoke to this, like there were three characters that seemed to always have these threads on his life um, in your podcast. But like, it was also speak towards like people having internal or external prejudices towards him since the day he was born or even before he was born. Mm. Like the king hating him right out the get-go, whether that was because his mother died in childbirth or like how his how the baby was acting with his two with the two women who were raising him at first in life or um so like it's just it, it i think it was in terms of like him having always having to make a choice and i like the idea that the drama said you always do have a choice 
in terms right. of being evil or not being evil or and then you have to mm-hmm. live with the consequences of that choice um which i think is portrayed very well in the third era but um they also just like the sh- the way especially in the early episodes like people were always having these preconceived ideas with him and prejudice against him but also they as as we said earlier with the trope of like the good guys are not always the good guys a lot of the good people were actually not good people even in the first era when we weren't even getting when they were all human than when they weren't mm-hmm. uh immortals or anything like that mm-hmm. talking about not everything is good um Let's talk about the crow wedding where he wreaks havoc with his army of black crows and he gets a little taste of revenge, a little taste of power. I fucking love this scene. How did you guys feel about this scene? I loved this scene, like absolutely loved it. I think it shows to his, because by this point, and this is something that I want to touch on that this drama did so well, it's hard for a drama to make you love somebody Mm -hmm. that is inherently at that point kind of evil. What he's doing isn't like, you know, the done thing in terms of he's literally trying to kill people. But even when he's trying to kill people, he has the audience eating out the palm Mm -hmm. of his hand and going, yeah, go for it, kill them, kill them. Because that is literally what we want. We want them all to die anyways. So I feel like that's something that this story does really, really well. By that point of him showing his evil side, you have seen what every single person in that room has put him through. So you're like, yeah, go ahead. You have free reign. Kill yeah, them all. They deserve it. And the fact, and you also see the fact that he gets to Yishiwu and he backs off. And it is the first time that you kind of see any inkling of him kind of like, you know, there's something there. I don't think it's like or love by any, you know, right. case of the world. Right. It's none of that. Because at that point, he doesn't even know what the meaning of those are. He can't feel them. He has no love strings. He has nothing. He has nothing to compare it to. But at that point, he saves her. and kind of like. Yeah, exactly. Something like a curiosity. And it kind of like he backs off and he's like, okay, I won't hurt you. Like, I'll I'll leave you. Um, but yeah, I, I just absolutely love that scene. And it's kind of like I loved how it was directed uh, because he wasn't in the room and he had this like um, quill or pen, yeah. whatever. And he was like, it was like he was a conductor yeah. and he was conducting something. And I, I loved how the whole scene was directed. That scene to me was epic. It was just epic. But also it kind of speaks when that scene came out again, everybody was like, oh, look at him talking to and controlling animals and whatnot the Voldemort parcel tongue of it all (laughs) but there was actually um something that people were saying online where they were saying even when he's evil 
you can still empathize with right. him. And that's like something that I totally agree with because he was being like, he wasn't being good. Like, because the high moral road is to take, you know, to not hurt anybody and kind of thing, which I don't care. I, like, kill them all. I said the same, kill them all. Girl, I said the same thing on the Glory episode. I'm like, fuck the high road. I yeah, want exactly. revenge. I want everyone to get their comeuppance. I want, re- I want retribution. Okay. And that's what he was getting. And everybody in the audience was like clapping for him and being (laughs) like, yeah, you get it. (laughs) You know, one thing that I really liked in that scene, and it was just before he like slinks off to do his conducting of the, the crow wedding. It's when he's dealing with one of his main aggressors, which is one of the princes. It's like the maniacal fat one who loves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he comes up to him, Tantai Jin, and starts like, you know, berating him he starts insulting him but yesiwu picks up on everything that's going on and she insults that prince back to him and the way that this is so subtle the way that tantai just steps in front of her he like moves slightly in front of her to presumably protect her or like get in between her and the prince i was like that's the kind of shit that i live for that's like it's not only speaking to him now he just un- maybe it's unconscious that he's just like wants to protect her and get in between her and this sh- shitty ass prince but later on it he it's the same it grows like this feeling of i want to protect her i want to i want to do good by her grows into this giant uh he's like the sacrificial lamb at the end of the show so i love that scene I, it's like that sort of shit, sort of shit is like sea drama crack to me. Did you guys like pick up on that little like thing that he stepped? Uh, I did. Sort of I I I did. I think for him especially, but also for Yishiwu. Yishiwu, there's you know she isn't how to explain this so basically you start to see that he has feelings for her not through his words but through his Mm. actions and she's the same she's absolutely the same and now if you look at the whole drama there isn't i might be misremembering but i'm pretty sure yishiwu never says i love you she never does but she shows him Mm -hmm. and that to me is enough. Now, I think a lot of the time, a lot of people crapped on her character left, right and center because they were like, oh, he's sacrificing everything for you, but you never like, why can't you just accept his love and blah, 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 okay. blah. And her character is like, guys, her character is so underrated. Mm-hmm. It is so underrated in terms yeah. of she, did you see what she had to go through? She has like this, the whole universe on her shoulders. She has basically. the weight of the future on her shoulders. Exactly. It's down like to her she... and nobody else. And she also has to like differentiate from like seeing him as Tantai Jin or seeing him as and there's a line that she says, Are you my enemy or are my you my lover? lover? <laughs> And I'm like, that is exactly her struggle throughout the whole drama. And I love the fact that these two, they don't have a lot of like swoon, absolutely swoony moments. There's not a lot of like, you know, 
big kisses mm-hmm. or anything like that. But it's through their actions and through their even just those small moments where one steps in front of the other. Mm-hmm. One is willing to like, she is willing to give up her immortality for him. He is willing to do this for her. She, you know, and it's like these things that show how they feel for each other without them having to say it and that to me is like one of the best things you can do actions Um, speak louder than words exactly i compared it to i don't know if you guys have watched the korean drama the red sleeve oh my god hell yes i love that one the female lead in that never says she loves the male lead but she shows it to him through her actions and through what she does. And I feel like that to me, actions speak louder than words. And when a character does it, it it just lands well. It makes their whole, you know, love story kind of like more believable in a sense. Caitlin, what did you think of the boat dance scene? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I love that. I mean, that was, that scene was like, top chemistry like one of the oh one of the God. scenes that you watch to mm. see just the chemistry because it's like um you i mean he knew immediately who she was and so the fact yeah. that like he just was like he was teasing her the entire time but then she played along and teased him back um i love that scene and the fact that like it. as you said it was like loud like speaks louder like actions like the fact that he was so worried about her when she got off the ship was just Mm -hmm. like that was another scene showing like he did actually care um and then the 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 scene that followed where she he stepped in front of her when they were fighting the his brother's right hand woman the the demon yes. I think she was a demon demon or like a wizard or whatever I don't yeah, remember yeah some sort of but witch. like that back and forth of them stepping in front of each other was one of my favorite scenes I love that also mm. him with blue yeah. can mm-hmm. contact gorgeous like, kiss. his eyes <laughs> yes, contacts stunning. in this like between the blue contact the gold when he was um the devil god the red when he was the devil god like his eye color in this was great. 10, ten out, out of 10. 10. No notes. <laughs> no notes. Um, but yeah, like just, I think him stepping in front of her in terms of the wedding and then she stepping in front of him in terms of the crows at the end and like running back into the building in the wedding too. Right. And then them fighting the demon witch person and them again exchanging that little like I'll save you, you save me type thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, and I love the ship scene, as I said. Like, that was peak chemistry. The boat dance scene is ingrained in my memory. It made the rounds on TikTok for good reason. It is so spicy. Mm-hmm. I adore it. I think that, again, the chemistry is off the charts. They're fucking cooking, okay? Like, this is one of those scenes where you put two people in a, in a room together and you just fucking let them cook. You know what I'm saying? There's certain like types of scenes that you're like, they're cooking like a full course meal here. This is what these two, Bai Lu and Do Yongxi are like cooking. And his face, the way he's like, so, it's so sensual. And the way he's eaten up all of her moves and the way that she ends up like trying to kill him at the end. 
her jumping off the ship and the way that he looks just as she is about to make the jump off the ship. It's like it never occurred to him that she would just rather die than be mm-hmm. with him. Unbelievable acting. And he like grabs, tries to grab her as she falls off. And all he's left with is the fabric, piece of fabric. It's so indicative of their entire relationship and the push and pull of them throughout the show. Um, again, you mentioned that he really cares about her well-being after she like fucks off off the ship. And I also love when they are like, uh, he's like, I want her dead or alive. And he's like, no, wait, I want her alive. I'm like, ah, <laughs> like there it is. He actually wants her alive. Like for whatever reason, at this point, he is sort of buying into her uh, and caring about her. And it's not just curiosity. He really does. Uh, like it is a true enemies to lovers relationship throughout the show and the growth and the sort of weird way that they are on this roller coaster journey together is uh incredible and the boat scene is very memorable at the end of the day Liliana did you have Um, any thoughts to add yeah I was gonna say I kind of love the fact that when you know she does get caught and he's like trying to capture it to put it on the boat so after the dance she gets caught whatnot and I feel like you look at you know Yeshiwu Lisusu at that point and she's like you're trying to corner me into a decision I will just jump off mm. the ship and like I love that for her character like she won't give up and she won't she like won't be, be taken pushed. alive bitch yeah, yeah, she's not going to be pushed into a corner. Like, she's going to do what she has to mm. do. And I always love that about her character. Mm. But also, you just touched on it very, very uh, briefly. When she does come back, when they meet again, or just before they go into the Bore life, mm. like, she, like, does this flirtatious smile and wave, and then her face just drops. And she's like, miss me, bitches. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love her. I love her. The like, smile and that smile breaks his smile yeah his face that and then he just starts laughing again ingrained in my memory just before they enter the body life and she's like she does a little wave and oh my god it's fucking sea drama crack it's such a small moment like in the grand scheme of things it's nothing but it's just like one of those scenes that really, really stands out. And actually, when uh, I was watching some behind uh, the scenes and some interviews that they've done, and if you watch them in the behind the scenes and interviews, they are so comfortable with each other. Oh, yeah. And she was like, oh, yeah, this is our second time working together, which changes everything because, you know. And even when they're doing like the kiss scenes, they'll just kiss like it doesn't like it doesn't even this bother them. <laughs> And after Love is Sweet, there was a bunch of rumors that they were dating. But then again, there's always rumors that Bailu is dating every single one of her co-stars. Because apparently you can't have chemistry without dating. Um, (laughs) But like everybody, like for these two and like all of their behind the scenes, Bailu is always taking the mick out of him. And he's like trying to answer questions seriously. And like, oh yeah, she's really hardworking and she does all of these things. And she's just like taking the mick out of him. So their behind the scenes are hilarious, but it shows that they have like that friendship in place mm. um, that then translates so well onto on screen, uh, you know, onto their on screen chemistry and then like how comfortable with each other they are. Um, I think that's really important. And that like boat scene proves how comfortable they are with each other because 
if they had been there had been any awkwardness between them no matter how good of an actor and actress they were that would have come across on screen mm. especially in that scene because it's so sensual it's like all about like little touches here little touches there uh, but that's why that scene is so good is because like how comfortable they are with each other I think in real life so yeah what was your favorite era of the show and why is it body life <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> so we get, we get into body life and all of a sudden the show sort of restarts they're leave they're reliving the life of the god of war 10,000 years ago and we get all this history we get all of this angst in a different pill and honestly love body life what were your thoughts um I really, really loved that arc, but I will say I didn't appreciate it until I watched the later episodes. In terms, in terms of, so there's a lot of people that if you talk to them and they've mentioned this a couple of times, they feel like the Bore Life arc went on a little bit too long. But for me, it was just enough. Like that arc dictates so much of the story. The shell that comes from that arc, the heart guarding scale. Mm-hmm. That's that is the scale that saves you know Tantai Jin later on in the story. Mm-hmm. That is Ming Wei sets so much into motion through his actions and through showing mm-hmm. him. He says clearly to Tantai Jin, "I waited. I showed you my life so that you could make the right decision." Um. So yeah, I I feel like that arc is so 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 important. Um. Uh, but also, there's just like lots of little details. For example, when they enter that arc so you see that Tantai Jin enters through the clear um, eye and uh, Lee Su Su enters through the red eye or the evil eye that's like indicative of like which story they're going to take and it's the same for the second couple one enters through the good eye and one enters through the bad eye and that kind of like dictates where they're going to land in terms of um, oh shit I didn't even of that yeah but this is what i mean this is what i mean like that whole arc there is so many little things that then connect everything together um so yeah caitlin how did you feel about what i like um i also yeah i also quite liked that that life as well i i thought um i thought it was good in terms of it allowed them to explore what could have been um, and mm. appreciate, like it, it allowed them to learn a little bit more about themselves and allowed them to explore a relationship that they might not have gotten to be able to do as Tantaijin or um, their other couple. Even like the third mm-hmm. era, like there's a difference in terms of their story all of their stories for that matter compared to the every eras and i think the second one or the bore life allowed them to experience uh a unique story that they would never have been able to experience in the other two eras that they had Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um which allowed them to get a little more context to their relationship and um, mm. learn different aspects of themselves that they wouldn't have been yeah. able to. I think, you know, living through Ming, Ye, Ming 
Mingwei's experience as the god of war helped Tan Taijin to actually open himself up to love and affection and actually probably learn from the mistakes of Ming Mingwei and not necessarily follow in his footsteps uh, as far as, you know, making that jump to I'll just be the I'll just give in and be a double if only to be with her. Um, yeah. What's up, Liliana? <laughs> No, I was just going to say before I forget because I will forget. Oh, okay, go ahead. Uh, so it's it's in case of what like what you're saying and Caitlin was saying. It's the fact that not only was it important for Tantai Jin but for Yishi Wu. Yeah. This is the story that shows her, you know, how the purest of souls can go into you know this rage and can turn bad but also it showed her like what's behind that not necessarily not everything is necessarily bad Mm -hmm. as it seems and where it comes from and I think she needed to experience that to allow like that love to also come in um I think for both of them it really teaches them like love in a different scenario if that makes sense it kind of like allows them allows them to kind of like feel each other's feelings if that makes sense in it allows yeah you know Yishiwu to experience the suffering the evilness and it allows Tantai Jin to experience the goodness uh, you know Absolutely. the other side so to speak yes so a couple more things about Bode Life I have a laundry list of like swoonworthy moments that happen in Bode Life and then I also want to talk about well not Yishiwu Sangju in the Bode life and her journey and how I absolutely fucking loved it. So for the Swoonworthy moments, the wedding was so interesting. Uh, it was such an interesting ceremony, I thought, because we usually get a lot of immortal weddings in Xianxia's. And this one was very cool because they had the floating dancers and the wedding gowns were way different. It was like, had a lot more white to them. Her arms were exposed, which I was like, that's new. And, um, I love that he, you know, as Mingwei, he starts to catch feelings sort of right away because he sees her catching the flower petals on their on their way back to his palace, and he just smiles slightly. These little things start adding up. Um, he smirks when she's in the garden and she's eating the fruit, and he catches her. And uh, it's the archery lesson, which is super spicy, and he's teaching her, uh, you know, how to shoot. Gifts, he gifts her the bow, the really nice bow, the swordsmanship lesson, which is another really spicy scene. He goes home early to see them. The fucking dual cultivation, whatever that was, that was really spicy. Um, I think that when he's blind, they had this whole like immortal standoff fight with the devil god, which I think went on a little too long. It was a really long sequence of like all of the gods coming together to vanquish the devil god 10,000 years ago. And it's a really long fight, a really drawn out battle. And Mingwei comes out blind from the the experience. And uh, when he regains his eyesight as she's brushing his hair and she's been taking such good care of him and... This is, again, like C-drama crack moments that like keep me going and keep me up at night where he's like, why don't we share a bed? Like, why don't we? Uh, it's like he's can see her at this point and it's 
changed how he views her and he realizes that there is some sort of redemption for their love. I can't I can't take like the snuggles in bed and the bee sting that she gets while she's collecting honey and he's like uh putting lotion or something on the bee sting. And there was so much sexual tension in that moment. You could cut it with a fucking knife. It was like, will he or won't he kiss her? Will he reveal that he can see her now and the blindness is gone and all this stuff? How? I mean, talk to me. Like, what are you guys feeling about this stuff? Um, I was just looking at my notes and I realized that that's the part that I actually wrote down with pen and paper. And I don't have the notes. Oh, okay. to think. But, but there is, because I was trying to remember the quote and it's after he regains his memory and he kind of says, I might, you know, paraphrase this a little bit because I can't remember the exact quote, but he kind of says to her, uh, like in his mind, he doesn't say it to her. Mm. He says it in his mind. I can just... Uh, I'm sorry for lying to you and to like just pretending to be blind. I just want this to last a little bit longer. And he just wants that like blissfulness because he knows once Mm -hmm. because she keeps saying in her mind once they're both essentially wanting the same thing at that point. She wants to, you know, carry on um, in this blissful moment and so does he they're just not communicating that because they both think that as soon as this blindness goes away they're both going to go their separate ways and that is kind of like so sweet but so heartbreaking at the same time because they want the same thing Mm. they just can't express it and it's like so sad and so you know i i loved that whole little saga because it's what in theory if everything else would be removed that's what their life would be like they would just be living in their little cabin like loving on each other and that is their life like that's what it would have been um so that's one of my favorite scenes in that you know in the Bore life is like them in the woods after he's blind the fact that she goes into the river to save him is you know and she gets kind of hurt going into the river and you know that's a whole other thing it's the fact that even though he said these things to her, she still wants to save him and take care of him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just their love through and through. Yeah. Uh, the ending of Bore Life is really brutal. Um, mm. Because she just, she, like, of course, the goddess fucking goes apeshit, kills all of her family. She becomes a devil. And I love this quote from uh, Sangjiu where she says, I'm willing to become a devil if I can kill my foe, even at the cost of my life or my soul being dispersed. And she makes this like everlasting vow to the soul calming stone or whatever that's in the Mo River. And the, the mood swings and everything, like you believe her, you're on her side, become a devil. It's fine, girly, like we'll support you. <laughs> and... The fact that she is so devoid of mercy as the devil, and you're still like, she has every right to be this vengeful. She says, I want them all to die when they raise their swords to kill children of the elders. They had no kindness or sympathy at all. I want them to pay. Um, And he's like telling her, look, it's not worth becoming a devil over. He's begging her to just like, let go. And 
she says, who are you? Who do you think you are telling me what's worthwhile or what should or should not be done? Like, get out. Get out of here. Mm. How are you guys feeling in this moment when she makes this turn to the dark side and becomes a devil and is really antagonistic toward uh, Mingwei? I supported like that change same. in the fact that it's exactly the same thing that was happening, you know, 10 episodes ago when uh, Tao Tai Jin throws crows at his enemies. She's doing the same. She's just doing it, you know, slightly different. And like at that point, she's so consumed by rage and anguish and every emotion that is negative. There is no going back for mm -hmm. her. Like there is no mercy. There is no going back for her. She, you know, has already it like that's she had this very peaceful, very loving family that supported her through everything. Mm -hmm. And having that taken away for no other reason than at the end of the day you can almost um link it back to Mingwei because if Mingwei hadn't been lenient mm. with the goddess they wouldn't have had this problem so it just shows to Sangjo leniency is not going to take me anywhere I might as well just do revenge and you know be be what I need to be um but yeah, I was I was like, I'm all for this. You go kill the goddess. You go kill whoever you need to kill. <laughs> like, it's fine. I still like you. Caitlin, how are you feeling about the dark side? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think this is, uh, I mean, we all cheered her on. We, again, we hated Bing Chong's character in, in the dream <laughs> sequence. Um, overall, yeah. I think any harm that we could see be done to her was rightfully so um <laughs> but i think also i mean i think i like the fact that they made like the opposite happen because you saw parallels mm -hmm. with um with um Tantai. yeah with Tantai jin's character and, her. and with sangju in the borderline yeah in terms of why they went evil and parallels in like their motivation while they were evil and things like that um and I think that allowed uh, Susu to really learn the fact that, like, there is no, there's a gray line when it comes to who's actually evil and who's actually good. And I think she's, she really had not learned that before the dream sequence. I think that was the major learning point is, like, Lee Susu was able to be exposed to the fact that even though there are good sex and bad sex there's a gray line because it's all like there's people in the good sect that could be bad and there's people in the bad sect that could be good and I think the dream sequence allowed her to learn that um, mm -hmm. but yeah one thing that I picked up on during this sequence and this uh, conversation that they're having which is really important and powerful in the body life um, is that Mingwei, the problem is that he didn't communicate with her and more than anything, he took power from her. He didn't let her decide the fate of her, the clansmen that were at fault, how to punish the goddess. He made all of these decisions on her behalf and it was all politically motivated in the body life. And like that is major, right? To take the agency from her when the the 
the, um, she is the victim, right? So I think that it, later on when Tentai Jin is effectively the, the victim of, you know, everyone's hate, everyone's mis mistreatment and miscommunication and bias and all of the rest, he makes big decisions by himself. And again, it, it's not necessarily that it's a mistake like it was in the body life because he saves uh, Susu at the end of the day and he saves the world. So it's very interesting to see how it's he kind of redefines um, the decisions and it's not so much that he's uh, offending Susu, even though he is, like we'll talk about that, but um, he really has a, a better handle on it after Bode life, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah, I, I also think when it comes to you know that whole story later on in the episodes it's the fact that they have a different relationship than sang Joo and Mingwei ever had mm. there's a lot of trust between Susu and Tantai Jin that was gained through their experiences to the point where he I think it's like episode 37 or 38 he's like become the devil god in essence and he's telling her all of these things and she looks him dead in the eye and goes you're, you're lying. lying and that's <laughs> that's all she knows she knows and like once you know they have cultivated this relationship over thousands of years thousands of years they've experienced it so I think that when he then chooses he knows that if he later on asked Tantai Jin if he were to tell her what he was going to do she wouldn't go through with it because she would have looked for a different way she wants she would have wanted to keep him and the world which is what she did you know 500 years ago she kept him alive but she also saved the world like and she would have looked for a different way whereas in um for Sangjo and Mingwei they had a very very short amount of time and yes he took all the agency away from her but I think like their main thing was their miscommunication because if he had said to her I'm doing this I'm sparing her life so that I can bring your tribe back or so that there is a chance to bring your tribe back because he said you know the uh, the goddess's clan came in and they've got this artifact that can bring you know Sangjo's uh, clan black clan clan back. Um, you know, uh, if he had explained that to her, she might have slightly understood. But it's also the case of. By that point, Sangjo was so far gone with grief that it would have been almost impossible to bring her back. Um, so, yeah, I think that mm -hmm. that was my my thoughts on it. It goes to show the difference in their relationships and, like, how far Tantai Jin and Lee Susu came mm -hmm. in their relationship, which was something that was never... It was a chance that was never afforded to Mingwei yeah. and uh, Sangjo. Yeah, I completely agree. Because at that point in Bore Life, it was too little too late. And he doesn't let it get to that point later on in the show when he's Tensai Jin or the devil god and, you know, things, shit's going down. The last line that I love in Bore Life is, it's my first time being a husband. I didn't know how to love mm. you. I write that one down <sighs> as well. I love that line. I love that line. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, so now we're out of the Bore Life. And... Um, 
we get these really sweet scenes of her trying to woo him so that she can develop all three of these mystical things. What was it? Like the tear, the dream, and the thread, the love thread. Yeah. So she's trying to turn these things into the nine spikes that she can ram into his heart. And she needs him to fall for her. And you get some sweet moments. She's cooking for him. She kisses him on the cheek, which is such a fucking terrific moment. I don't know how you guys felt about that. His reaction. I love that little scene. Um, I will say this was the point where a lot of people were like, oh, what's happened to Yishiru's character? Why is it all of a sudden she's turned into this little, you know, obsessed little fan of Tata? I'm like, you can't win with this. Everybody was like, first of all, you want her to be, you know, in love with him. And then now that she's like trying to technically trick him to be in love with her and like you still don't like it, you know, don't like it. But... To me, I loved, this was kind of like a little breather before you went into the next painful, you know, Mm -hmm. arc of the story. And I feel like there's um, one of my favorite scenes from this whole thing is like, so she, she, um, is it in this part? I think it is when he kills the emperor, like the, uh, you know, neighboring mm. country's emperor, and she misjudges him and she looks at him with like scared and hatred. And he kind of says, I have seen that look from many people before, but I never imagined I would see it from you. Like mm. the her look of being afraid of him. And then like they go back and she understands why he killed him. They because stole his mother's remains. It they, was all that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they stole his mother's reins. And then, like, you go into the whole confession of him by their tombstones, which is just, like, giving you, giving you everything that's going to happen. And, like, the one line that, it's a whole thing, but the one line that I wrote um, for this is, like, when he's confessing to her and he basically says, I love no one but you. He doesn't say, I love you. He's literally telling her there is nobody else. No, like, motherly love, no brotherly love, nothing. I love no one but you. And it's, like, come on like come on to me that was one of the most swoony moments of the whole drama absolutely the confession scene in the jing kingdom uh, tomb area what's it called um mausoleum anyway thank you yeah the mausoleum. mausoleum yeah yeah sorry um the confession i am able to love someone only because it is you not anyone else yes you the one i love is you not anyone else and it's like yeah that scene is just Fuck. killer um <laughs> i uh i think the episodes that were you were referring to like the break before the heartbreak is 25 to 26 is like all hell breaks loose because uh he puppeteers yeshua and to kill shaolin she kills shaolin well he kills yeah. shaolin through her yeah and what a um What's the term? Like a regression, right? For Tentaijin. Because in that moment, he is super volatile and sinister to have who he thinks is her lover or the person that she loves killed at her hand, by her hand. So 
I don't know. Caitlin, did you have any thoughts on that? I was like, this is a lot. Um, I will go back of a little bit, though. The one scene that I liked in terms of, like, them being happy was that whole um, oh, festival Lord. scene with, like... <gasps> oh, my God. Let's <laughs> yes. talk about the festival. Yes. Um... <laughs> So, like, I love the fact that, like, the Jing... So, the Jing Kingdom holds this festival, and they basically put on a play every year of the devil god and this woman who essentially have, like, a love story. And so, they they chose our two main couple to play those roles. Ironically, he mm. played the devil god, she played this goddess thing, and they did this whole dance sword sequence. Um... Mm-hmm, I dance, think yeah. this, I mean, I don't think it had the effect, obviously, of other people in terms of the boat scene, but, like, I felt like this was another boat scene, but in that era. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I just loved this scene together. I liked the costumes. I liked their masks. I liked them running around the festival together. Um, I just, mm-hmm. they, they, like, it just... They really just enjoyed each other's company and enjoyed just being together and not have to worry about he that fact he was king and all of the things that were going on politically mm. and otherwise around them. I will say that I am always a sucker for on the run episodes. So even like prior after the the initial boat scene and she picks him up because he's half dead on the river and now they're on the run fucking love those episodes and in this scene at the festival he's being chased by all his attendants and i'm like yes i love on the run scenes and the festival play from this time period is basically prophesying exactly what would happen to them because she ends up being the goddess he the demon god and he yields to her so she would kill him and in that moment she also unmasks him and reveals his true self and she says you were lying this whole entire time and it's i i also think like it pays that whole again it's kind of like a dance between them Mm. you know their sword fight is kind of like a dance between them but it also pays like homage to when um you know uh sang jo and mingwei are having like that sword lesson i think and it kind of like draws a little bit on that in sense of linking them but this show has a thing where if you look really really closely like if you go and rewatch it they have been giving you clues to what will the ending be from the get-go from like episode one there's like little bits here and there and this one like this festival one is like a major one where they clearly show you how it's gonna end you just don't really want to believe it Mm. but i love how this show does this where they are really really clever in the screen like in the script writing right they are very clever in terms of leaving little things that one once you're watching you know for the first time you don't know because you don't know the context that they're going to be coming in later on but once you've watched it and you're like oh my god this scene linked to this and this linked to that and that to me is clever you know screenwriting Mm -hmm. and that makes me again excited to see what these writers will do next because if they can do this from you know 
for, for this drama as their first thing, I I can only you know I can only dream of what else they'll do next. In terms of your regular <sighs> question, back. Jessica. Oh um, yeah, I've totally forgot. Yes, go for it. <laughs> I I agree. It was a regression in terms of him manipulating. I thought it was just. I think it was regression, but it was also like overly cruel. On the fact that, like, he used her in the means to get his revenge. Like, he didn't have to do that. Like, Mm -hmm. there was other means that... It's It's personal. personal. That's personal. And it's just... I was frustrated on the fact because, of course, like, Bing Chan's character was, like, manipulating all of it. And, (laughs) like, just, like... I was, like, yelling at my screen. I was just, like, communicate, people! (laughs) Like, this this entire drama, I was, like... This could have been avoided with a conversation. And of course, they didn't have a conversation. Um, But yeah, I think it was, I think this was even like worse than just a regression. The fact that it was just like a cruel, cruel way to go about killing what he perceived as Mm -hmm. his love rival, which was never the case. Like even in the third era, we were talking about how... um, Shaolin's character in the third era was doing it out of jealousy like he was never perceived as a love rival by rival by by Lu's <laughs> right. characters in any of the eras so and mm-hmm. we knew that as the audience and you would think he knew, would know that but he obviously didn't because I mean I think I mean obviously before she was like quote-unquote possessed in the first era by Lee Su Su, she was very much and wanted to be with Shaolin. That's why she was just a Mm -hmm. cruel character so much is, and to her sister, to everybody, because she wanted to be with him. um, And he didn't have, want to have anything to do with her. But, um, and so obviously that kind of crept in of his insecurities with that relationship before Lee Su Su even turned up. And the fact that it Mm. let him, let it get the best of him throughout, I think what was the most frustrating part is the insecurity of Shaolin with him and for what they, all they've been through in terms of the dream sequence and what they have shown. And he still went about and did that and viewed him as a love rival frustrated me so much because mm. she has proven time and time again to him that that was never the case up to that point um especially mm-hmm. when Lee Su shows up and is now in the picture I'm sorry Liliana. I, yeah I just I just want to pick up on something that Caitlin was saying is and that sometimes I feel like I obviously I finished watching this you know a while well as soon as it finished ending ended airing and now I think I feel like at the time when I was watching these scenes I was really really frustrated but now like looking back at it with like slightly different perspective I think that yes he was cruel but and it was also a regression but we also like I need we the way I look at it right he had just learned to feel he's getting all of these emotions and he doesn't necessarily know what they are he doesn't know how to deal with them now did he need to go and you know use (laughs) you know those in a certain way no not necessarily but that's like his response to you know being betrayed in a sense of what he perceives as a betrayal um 
but also this scene I feel like and these emotions are there to show and push Lee Su Su mm -hmm. in a different direction mm -hmm. because I feel like at this point she's you know falling in love with him and she's forgetting a little bit of her purpose she's forgetting that of who he's about to become and this shakes her and wakes her up and it's like a wake-up call to like look you still got a mission he's still gonna turn into the devil and you right. still need to deal with it mm -hmm. so i feel like that's what mm -hmm. this was used for so at the time i was really really frustrated with it now like looking back on it i kind of like see it slightly different the first thing is that he doesn't know how to deal with these emotions and his first instinct is to go to what was shown to him which is cruelty that's what he's been dealing with all of his life and anytime somebody was you know bad they would show cruelty so that's his like default emotion in a sense so I feel like that's what was you know what he was showing it, he was putting out what he mm -hmm. had been shown learned behavior. Yeah. exactly he was putting out his learned behavior but also it was kind of needed to push the story into right. the next arc absolutely you needed Yishiwu Lee Su Su to kind of like wake up and to see that she didn't have that much time left to mm. accomplish her mission so then she stabs him on their wedding night <laughs> with all of the spikes that have developed from the three mystical thingies and my thing is he says but i still love you uh -huh. as he's like spitting up blood and she's looking very fierce and she's got the glowing eye of the yep. um i can't remember what that magical thing was the that alluring, she into self. And all alluring yes world alluring, alluring jade. jade yes yeah yeah yes thank you but i still love you as he's in pain and writhing and dying and she's being really uh uh cruel to him again <laughs> and uh that was very heartbreaking for me the prison scene after the fact i don't know if you guys had thoughts on that but like the line since my affection means nothing to you have a mm. taste of my hatred of my yeah. hate that that scene Shit. that whole scene is just is just and it's so well acted. Oh my it's God. so well acted. Like both by Bai Lu and Lu Yun Chi, it's so well acted that it's ridiculous mm -hmm. because you can feel there's a lot of hatred in that scene, but you can still feel their chemistry and you can still feel like they're pulled towards mm -hmm. each other. Even though they hate each other, they love each other. And it's kind of like this perfect culmination of all of these emotions all in one scene. Like it's like this punch delivered mm -hmm. and i i love that scene that prison scene is like engraved in my memory because i feel like and the lighting of it like there's this lighting coming in behind um yishiwu's character and it's just like i i i just loved it i loved it it was directed so well acted so well yeah. written so well this is like one of those times where like the trifactor <laughs> acting writing and director kind of like joins hands and it makes for some really really good television yeah i agree something else that was really good television was the end of this era where she God. is like a disgraced wife she's in the cold palace she decides on a last ditch effort to take the advice of the enlightened life which is develop a um what was it it was her um 
immortal develop an immortal essence so that she can trade it basically for his evil mm-hmm. bone as ming ming wei did in the enlightened life and oh my god the scene where tentai jin rushes back and finds that the populace is completely slaughtered and his older brother has taken the the ye girls hostage they're standing on a precipice and he has to choose which one to save and Yeshu is not making eye contact with him at all. She's not even looking down at Tensei Jin. And, you know, he uses the last of his powers to take out the brother. She stays standing on the precipice, waiting for the heavenly lightning to come for her. And, oh my god, they get taken up into the celestial space. The, um, the lightning punishment is, like, all around them. And... It's like a reveal for Tensei Jin because she starts saying like, you know, you're the devil god and uh, shows him a little bit of the future. He gets a Spark Notes version of what she went through and how she ended up back in the 500 years in the past. And it's like the replacement of the evil bone. She collapses and dies after this huge fall. All of this is really heartbreaking and gut-wrenching to see. Uh, Caitlin, like, how were you dealing with this Okay, so scene? I have to back up a little bit, just a little bit, to the episode before, because okay. that's when my favorite couple, like, just died and, like, stuff. So, so like, <sighs> I just want to touch on that. I was heartbroken with that scene. And and the fact that, like, I have to give props to the general, too, is, like, he's learned that, like, mm. um... Like he went through, he went through the ringer with this. He had to like span a few oh, days. Yeah. He had his grandmother murdered, his sister was imprisoned Ugh. and tortured. Uh, like he lost his sister, like she's dead now. His father and brother <laughs> also died, and then he like had to go this heart wrenching scene of like the woman he loved and thought he would be with forever also died and saved him, and now he has to like pick up the pieces and. I do, I mean, you mentioned this before, I think both of you did, uh, whether it's in your own podcast or earlier, it's like, the fact that he went to Tan Chai Jin and was like, get your head out of your ass, and like, you have to rule after this whole thing went down, like, it just speaks to his character, and I just love his character. Okay, that being said, um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think, I think what I loved about the scene in terms of, like, them rising up into the heavens and, like, receiving the lightning punishment is like him really realizing the fact that she had the eye and had that jade in her and like realizing the fact that she had been living with that for years at that like not years but like since she got it I don't know how long (laughs) but like a really long time and he knew how painful that thing was and so the fact that she was living with it for so long and realizing, I think, and he showed this so well on his face, like coming to the realization that she did love him. And the fact that she was living with this thing in herself and in her eye for so long just proved it. And then he felt remorseful on the fact that he did all that stuff to her. And it was too late. Like he couldn't do anything, which caused him to mm-hmm. kind of go on mm-hmm. like a crazy king rant a little bit afterwards. The descent into yeah. madness. Um, and so I, I just love that realization and that progression of that whole scene. And then, of course, 
you get, I wanted somebody to put together. I'm sure somebody has. Like, the amount of times they have an aerial shot of them laying next to each other in this drama. Like, I think up to this point, I think we had, like, four or five scenes at this point. Uh, Whether they died or they were just, like, on the ground together, like, with the crow scene, for example. Um, I just want a Mm -hmm. compilation of Mm -hmm. that. But, yeah, I absolutely loved this scene, even though it was, like, heartbreaking and I was just like oh my god but like the emotion and the realization mm-hmm. of that scene and then what came after um and how it all tied into even the third era uh was heartbreaking but also kind of beautiful at the same time yeah i would say that and i'm just realizing this now is that yes he's been learning how to love and throughout the show how to love properly in a healthier way because obviously when she he perceives that she betrays him and she goes to Shaolin it's like this rage and jealousy that he's exhibiting and it's very volatile and we see that played out and then you know she sacrifices herself and removes his evil bone and he realizes all these things that she's done for him and it it kind of translates into she loved him this whole time he goes into this deep depression this grief and descent into madness where it almost culminates into now his love is all about possession you know you belong to me and i belong to you you can't leave me i didn't give you permission to leave if you can't come to me i will go to you and all of these different things that he says during this time and uh one thing that i liked that he said was uh he says that he wanted to be good to the widows and orphans shame the same as she was but now that she's gone he doesn't care about anything and he sort of detaches himself from this really noble uh, concept that she instilled in him, which was you got, you just have to care about people. You can't just care about yourself and the people immediately around you. You should care about the world because you're in a position of leadership and you can change. You have the power to change the world and affect the world. So it's really tough to see him go through the suicide attempts with the Snow White thing. He tried to freeze them. <laughs> then they go through the fire and uh, he leaves the, the throne and gives it to, I, I think it was the brother. And, yeah. you know, he decides to, you know, indulge in his grief and to try and find her in the netherworld, which is like the whole 500 years later time jump that happens. And, you know, just skipping ahead a little bit, his love evolves even further to be selfless right where he ends up like giving up the chance to be with her at the detriment of the world to choosing to save the world and you know negate himself in that manner so i think that's like really cool to see the evolution of his love and how he loves her um i think like that's why his character was done so well it's because its evolution and the journey that you know Tantai Jin's character goes on it comes full circle and it comes to the end and you would never have imagined that the character that he is at the end would have come from the character that he started off as Mm -hmm. and I think he was played so you know so so well but also there's these like 
quotes i don't know there's like these quotes that like the hero will give up his love for the world but you know the demon will give up the world for the (laughs) you know the world for his love that sort of thing right but he kind of goes through that journey where in you know right after she dies he gives everything up but he leaves it, he leaves, he lays his plans mm. out before he does. Because Ye Ching Wu comes in and he's like, snap out of it. This is not what my sister would have wanted. This is not, you are not honoring her. And he kind of like snaps him out of it long enough for him to set everything into motion for him to leave. And I think that was really, really important because if Tantai Jin had just kind of like abandoned this world that he had created, and not cared at all for it it would have shown that his character hadn't come as far as it had um so i was really happy to see that he left everything kind of like planned out and you know left his world in a better condition which just kind of like showed how good of a ruler he was Mm -hmm. in a sense because yes he did indulge in what he wanted but he also knew that the world he had created would be left in you know good hands so that allowed him to kind of like move on um and you know to go find her so he kind of like did the two things Mm. he kind of protected the world and went you know indulged himself so i i really enjoyed that whole aspect of it Moving ahead, way ahead. They are now in the immortal kingdom because they have the this competition to catch demons or whatever. Like the immortal sex get together and have a little a little competition, friendly competition, friendly quote unquote. And they have their reunion scene as Sang Jumin and uh, Susu for the first time. I was underwhelmed. What did you guys think? I it could have been more, but I kind of loved how he caught her out mm. because he. it just shows like how kind of like well he knows her because he just goes, oh, fine, let's go find Shaolin. And she goes, all right. And it's kind of like, and then the realization on her face, ah, shit. Like, you know, <laughs> I kind of liked that's how, you know, she he kind of like caught her in her lie. Mm-hmm. And it was just so effortless for her to say, oh, yeah, let's go find it. Him. and it just you know it i i yes it could have been grander like them their meeting could have been grander a little bit but i also kind of liked how you know he caught her out on her lie very very quickly mm. uh um, caitlin i i you? agree i think i think they needed that very kind of casual reunion because the next part of them together was just so epic um if they had back-to-back epic scenes i don't think the second would have been as epic and as meaningful as it would have felt i also will say though in my opinion i think the first time they it was way too long to wait in terms of like that like they should have i i don't think it needed an entire episode of them not seeing each other at least maybe even a couple episodes i can't remember yeah i think it was almost two episodes until they had a reunion which i thought was a little too long Mm. but yeah i have to agree i like the fact that it was more casual because the second time they got together was just so grand and epic i don't think it would have had much of a as much of a 
emotional impact if their reunion was just as epic and grand. Mm. Uh, there is a fight that happens between Jiumin and the white-haired Ying, and I thought it was very good. A very well-choreographed fight, and he does the kick move with the sword, that he, like, kicks the sword. Do you, mm-hmm. do you remember this? Anyway, it's amazing. And uh, he starts merging with the, the seal or whatever that they have there. It's ah, one yeah, of the yeah, yeah. Uh, evil uh, instruments. And I love the moment where one eye turns red and the other stays black. And, of course, the eye, the eye that turns uh, stays black is the one that she gave mm-hmm. him. You know, it's her uh, eye. Uh, and again, his struggle verbatim, it's very like Harry Potter-esque, Order of the Phoenix, Harry fighting off the Voldemort possession. Uh, very good stuff. And this brings me to another character that I think, Caitlin, you had issues with. The God of Monsters, her biological father. Had, like, I, did you believe this man for even a second that he had turned no, a new leaf and was... Not uh, at all. <laughs> no. Did anyone, did anyone at all believe he turned a leaf I had, at all? I had, so what happened was I apparently am very gullible because when he came back on the scene and was like, he busted out of the barren abyss and went to the immortal sex, I was like, oh, okay, so maybe I misunderstood the entirety of Bore life and he wasn't maybe that evil and he was this undercover spy that was getting info and had defected on purpose no 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 like they got me so freaking dirty when he was like and he was getting real sketchy too and i was still like man he's sketchy and didn't put any pieces (laughs) together (laughs) so when he goes like full crazy and like fully evil and absorbs the the devil bone and all this stuff and connects with the devil god i was like well fuck (laughs) i'm screwed because i just i should have seen it coming i was like the idiot that didn't read the tea leaves on that i love that by lou's character didn't did not take like didn't saw right through him as well like she didn't yeah well she but she trusted like jo ming more than or tentai jin more than her biological father which is like whoa (laughs) I think at that point, though, that just shows, again, how much they've come Uh as a couple and as, you know, characters, because she's like, no, I don't believe, like, not for one second she believed that uh, Cao Min, Jumin could have done Uh that at that point. Like, she knew him, and she was like, no, it wasn't him. Like, and I also loved the fact that his Shifu, so his master, also mm-hmm. did not believe him straight away. Mm-hmm. He was like, I know who you are. And I he I I said I you know him and the adopted, you know, Lisu Su's adopted father, they're probably the only two good immortals yep. in this whole drama. And um I feel like you know Sal Jomin's, you know, f- master him believing him, it's kind of like the father figure that Tantai Jin oh. never had. And that's how I saw that. It was that unquestionable, you know, fatherly love that Tantai Jin has never seen before. And that just adds to this want of Tantai Jin, 
he could have gone in um, uh-huh. a whole different direction. Now, I I sort of like mentioned this. For me, I had a theory that there was like three people controlling the whole drama in sorts of the whole plot. That was the devil god, Jizu, which is the um, god of time. Mm-hmm. And then the little disciple that he kicks down to earth, which <laughs> yes. is... You know, the guy who then becomes uh, Pang Yuzu. I think his name's Pang Yuzu, which is like the Shaolin's right-hand man. <laughs> I've always thought that like the three of them are dictating the story in terms of like, you know, pushing them here and there. And you can see that because his... Uh, uh, Tang, uh, I can never say his name, but Tan Tai Jin in the, you know, <laughs> 500 years. Sao Jiaomin, Jumin, when he is found by the river by his master. Mm-hmm. It was Pang Yuzu that told him to go and find him. And it's like all of these threads are connected back to those three characters. And it's like their sort of like game of sorts to win Tantai Jin over. But in the process of doing so, they kind of taught him how to love. And it kind of like showed him fatherly love. It showed him, you know, Yishiru's love. It showed acceptance from a clan that he kind of like had never seen before. So I, um, yeah, I, I think those scenes were really, really important in, in that aspect of then him like selflessly giving himself up to save the world later on. You know, talking about that character that his consciousness was like in that little, um, like, <laughs> I don't, was Your it flower of sorts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he was the one that demanded some heart blood from Tan Tai Jin back in the day, and he yeah. used these elements that he had collected, like a tear from this, their enemy or something. I don't even know. All these. It was a things. tear from the like heartbreak, so he collected the tear from Ye Big yes, Chen right so before she killed all herself. These things, yeah, and he, cre- he did this forbidden magic to basically resurrect Shaolin and create this version of him, Jiwu. I wish that they had gone the route of there would be consequences to this using this dark magic. And that is why he sort of went to the dark side in the final episodes instead of he has this like weird jealousy, inferiority complex and wants to uh, win over Tentai Jin or Sang Chumin. So I wish that that was the case and that they had gone that route versus there really is no consequences to doing this like bit of dark magic to get your friend back (laughs) yeah it kind of would have made more sense uh in terms of what you're saying because the whole scenes where tan tai jin's character i mean he he wasn't tan tai jin at the time but like when he was shackled to that pillar and episode 34 and um go ahead yeah (laughs) I just have to say this before I forget do you know so basically where he's shackled is the exact same place that his master died before she went back 500 years ago did you guys notice that little thing no I did not nope didn't Uh, no he didn't die no no he didn't die sorry he was shackled to those pillars 500 years ago before he gets rescued pick that up Oh, okay, so any yeah, yeah, that was just something I uh, so his Tang Jiaomin's um, master, he was uh, shackled to those pillars by uh, the devil god, and then he gets rescued and taken to the other sect. <gasps> oh, yeah, yes. it's the same. It's the same pillars. It's the same pillars. Oh. Sorry, it's just <laughs> it's the same place that he <sighs> was. Right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, carry on. 
connections. So I, it's okay. back to your point, Jessica, in terms of like Jibu being resurrected and there was like seemed to be no consequence using that dark magic. I think it would have been a better story if the consequence was him becoming what the bio dad was. I mean, he didn't remember his lives or anything, so he had to watch it when um, when Susu showed it to them mm-hmm. in the scene when he when um, uh, yeah episode, episode thirty four when, when he shackled, he shackled. And she's like yeah. don't kill him he's fine. <laughs> so I think it would have made better sense in terms of instead of him becoming evil due to jealousy or whatever it was, either him teaming up with the bio dad. Or him, like, mm. doing some sorts of story to connect it back to the fact that he really was not supposed to be there. Like, he was not supposed to be resurrected. Mm. Or if he was, he wasn't supposed to be resurrected like he was. He was never reborn. He never was reincarnated like the other characters might have been. Um, so I agree with you. I think it would have made a better story if there was a written in consequence. And maybe there was. Maybe it was a, a thing of, like, the editing room or anything like that but um mm. again i just don't i did not see yeah. the point of his character going evil other than the fact that he was jealous which there was just not a lot of context even to support the jealousy part um obviously due to probably cutting because honestly like one last thing on this whole jealousy thing is that she was like what a child when she caught fire suddenly and they had to put her in the river right. so that she could go under extreme meditation for like 10 years so he didn't know her for that long and what kind of romance could children possibly get up to before she's for for a decade in a seclusion so i'm like what kind of i mean granted they were fiancés (laughs) and also apparently like they when they were when they they were born their fathers were like you're gonna be married which obviously happens a lot in these historical dramas overall. But um, yeah, I just I think it would have made a better story if, as you were saying, Jessica, in terms of if we saw a consequence of using that dark magic. And I thought it would have been a better story of him teaming up with the bio dad to some context. Mm-hmm. Big, big scene in episode 34 because Sang Jumin is blamed for the murder of this rapist and he's strung up by chains and... They figure out finally that he is the demon fetus and Susu's bio dad shows up to cruelly expose him. His entire life, his whole struggle was arranged beforehand in this prophecy that the devil God implemented 10,000 years ago. And they have this voiceover from the devil God saying that he's experienced everything suspicion, hate, disappointment, and that they'll never believe anything that he claims. And he's just feeding into this narrative that he's helpless unless he becomes the devil god. And now, like, he's talking about, oh, you feel like the cold running through your veins and stuff. And it's kind of like a visceral sort of thing, physical reaction that the devil god narration is talking through. And then, boom, like, his eyes turn red and he, like, gives in to the devil god's spirit or whatever and it's very impactful this whole scene was like heartbreaking to me and susu showing up late to like save him and stuff (sighs) 
lots of going on. I also um, I also think just right before that scene, there's uh, a line that I really, really liked. And it's said by Si Ying, so the uh, demoness. Girl. Yeah, the white-haired demoness that's up on the cloud. And she says they've started beating him without even investigating. <sighs> and it's like... It shows you, like, a demon is saying that mm-hmm. to about the heavenly clan. So I really, really loved that. It's such a small thing that it's kind of, like, almost very easily be dismissed. Mm. But it's, like, it's showing you so much within the space of, like, five seconds. Yeah. So I, I really did love that that little, you know, um, little I line of I also like her. the fact that yeah. this scene pretty much gives you a preview of what's going to happen at the end. Like... He was all ready to die because he didn't want it to be exposed that um, Susu had the de- the the devil bone in her. So he was all ready to be like, yeah, I'm the worst person you possibly can think of. I killed the guy. Hmm. Murder me right now. Like, and that was just the preview of like what was going to happen in terms of what happened afterwards and the whole course of his character afterwards. Um, and I think that speaks a lot in terms of his character growth, their relationship growth, like him just deciding that I'm going to sacrifice myself either for Mm -hmm. her at that moment, it was her, like he was sacrificing himself for her because he didn't want her being exposed. Um, and then eventually he sacrificed Mm -hmm. himself in various other ways throughout the rest of the drama for other people for the world for her for that in general so i like that yeah uh they end up giving him the heart guarding scale to mend because it's somehow like broken and they tell him to listen with his heart which i was like listen to your heart (laughs) like i was i don't know i get these moments where i'm like yes lyrics um he sees vignette after vignette of good scenarios the grandmother living and handing out red envelopes uh sorry yishiwu's grandmother the citizens laughing and dancing sanjiu saying to mingwei like talking about apples like have an apple and just prosperity and goodness yishiwu's whole family alive and well her brother her dad everybody uh mingwei also looking down at him from the heavens and it's just very emotional to see everything backwards and actually positive and he reaches this revelation right like he was so deep thinking about himself worrying fearful of his destiny that he totally missed the point as long as he chooses to see the good and virtue in the world he'll never essentially give in to the dark side and they tell him like it's not about being an immortal or a devil which i'm like whew Finally, someone says it in a sciencia and, you know, the uncle and the adoptive father tell him, like, you have to choose. It's your choice. Really powerful stuff, which is what we were talking about earlier, about the theme of you choose, right? No matter what prophecy or destiny or fate is bestowed upon you, you still always have a choice. So I love that. Yes. And uh, the sketch charm that they circle back on. He uses the sketch charm again, and then he says, no scenery is better than being with you for all eternity. <laughs> I loved... Fuck. Um, 
I loved, loved, loved that scene. But also that scene kind of like is a lot deeper in terms of. So when she first showed him that sketch, he could never have done it. And that's and she kind of like used that sketch as like a check in with mm. him. Because once he would have been able to do it, she would know that he would be safe from like the devil god's influence. Because only those of like pure heart and whatever can use that sketch and like that, you know. Mm -hmm. can like make it happen so once he's done it i think it kind of like also shows lee su su exactly where he's at and the fact that he does it in by the river where she tells him 500 years ago that you know this was the spot she used to love by this river and he says to her i would love to see it with you one day and whatnot and she knows at that point that that's never going to happen but the fact that then 500 years later that river is exactly where he kind of like shows the sketch to her it's kind of like i i loved that little link and you know what how much that you know scene meant Mm -hmm. uh what a great adoptive father like for a second let's talk about this dad because he's amazing he she comes up and tells him look i don't think i want to do the heartless tactics i'm still tied to tentai jin uh, romantically and he's the one and it's so heartwarming because he says that you know his opinion doesn't really matter he trusts her judgment uh, besides, this guy has refined the heart guarding scale, which shows that he's a good person. He's a powerful cultivator and he supports her. No questions asked, just completely wants her to be happy. And then in contrast, the bio dad pulls up and is like, what's wrong with you? Why do you have the evil bone? It's definitely Tentai Jin making you do all these crazy things and make wrong decisions. And it's he's completely out of line. And you're like, oh, <laughs> the difference between the two dads. And the fact that she had such a wonderful adoptive father is, I feel, pretty rare for for a Sansa drama. Absolutely. Like, I loved it. And I loved, um, this is maybe skipping ahead a little bit, but like I said earlier on, I absolutely loved her love letter to her adopted father. It's in episode 38. And, you know, I, I actually wrote her whole quote down because I just love it that much. It's the fact that she knows it's also like that theme of blood is not thicker than water. Mm. Like blood means nothing uh-huh. in this drama. It's like those connections that are formed mm-hmm. were formed and they are stronger than the connections, you know, that are biologically there. So I really, really liked that theme as well. And like I said, I just loved their relationship. You know, her adoptive father was just probably the only good uh immortal together with uh you know sang Jumin's master mm-hmm. yeah the uncle those two were just great as you know father figures in, in the drama and they were like true immortals i think because they questioned things and they were supportive and they are what an immortal is supposed to be mm-hmm. i think let's skip to the end game episodes because what the fuck did you guys think that this was gonna end Yes. badly that this wasn't going to yes. be a yes. cut and dry yes. happy ending from episode one i said to myself and i think i said it in my podcast <laughs> from episode one i knew this was going to be tragic i did not for one second 
kidded myself that they were going to give it a happy ending because it doesn't fit Mm. the drama. Mm. It doesn't fit their message. It doesn't fit their love story. That is not what you know this drama is about it's the fact that even in those very small moments because realistically speaking their time together in the in terms of like immortal lives was very very small Mm. but their love and their you know the strength of their love was so impactful that it'll last for a lifetime even if they're not together Mm -hmm. and I I always thought now watching it was a whole different thing because I I was kind of like prepared for a bad ending but I was still watching it bawling crying you know the whole nine yards but like I knew from day one that I was like going into it that there was no way they would if they were to give it a happy ending I for me would have been in something like you know a special episode later on or something separate from the main drama because I just feel like this kind kind of drama calls for a and is it really it's kind of like it's Mm. open to interpretation because he's there he is there he's inside that scale he's just coming back you know you just you know that eventually he'll come back at least I think eventually he will Mm -hmm. um his spirit is still there and in Chiantra's you know unless your spirit like your core is completely shattered there's always a chance you'll come back mm-hmm. and you know there was like a string of him saved within that shell so uh, that hard you know hard the guarding hard scale. guarding yeah. Yeah, yeah scale so there's always a chance he'll come back but I for once actually liked how they kind of left it a little bit open a little bit sad because I feel like it suits this drama mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Caitlin, you thought yeah. The same I mean, way. I didn't You're think it like, would happen it like from day one, like Liliana. But like, I think probably pretty much at the beginning of the third era, I was like, this is not going to have a be together mm. happy ending. I honestly thought because again, I watched this after, so I didn't know the ending, but I definitely saw people's reactions mm-hmm. to the ending. I didn't. I was expecting a much worse ending due to people's reactions than what it was. Like, Same. I will agree. I was perfectly Same. fine with the ending of this. It wasn't like, as Liliana said, it wasn't like he was completely gone. It wasn't like they weren't together and it was never going to happen again. So I was expecting a far worse sad ending. That I mean, granted, mm-hmm. I said Same. this earlier, like maybe before we started recording, like I was expecting to be crying throughout this drama. And honestly, I really didn't except for their goodbye at the very end. That was when I like started crying. But um, yeah, I was expecting due to people's reactions and how much like you either love the ending and was okay with the ending or you absolutely hated the ending. I was expecting Mm -hmm. a far worse ending than what we got. And I, I'm perfectly happy with the ending we got. I think I feel the same way. I thought the ending was going to be fucking world ending. Okay. It was not that that bad. (laughs) And I did get spoiled online. It was my fault because I told TikTok that I love (laughs) till the end of the moon edit. So it gave me every fucking video under the sun and I got spoiled. But that's fine. Um, again, I thought it was going to be way worse than it was. It was actually really appropriate for me personally, and it didn't feel like it ended on a low note. It felt like it ended on a high note, a very positive, uh, optimistic note that yes, he might come back because he's there's something of his in the heart guarding scale, whether it's his essence, spirit, consciousness, whatever the fuck. Um, 
I would love to hear from people who are listening. And if you've come this far, please let me know, like, what did you think of the ending? Let us know if you're one of these people that really wants a happy ever, ever after for these yanshas. I don't think that's... I personally feel like it depends on the story, right? For this story, like Liliana was saying, it wasn't warranted to have like a completely wonderful uh, happily ever after with this couple. Um, That being said, there are... Oh, go ahead, Liliana. No, I was just going to say, but also like their legacy lives on in their daughter. Yes. Like um, their love lives on through their daughter and I kind of loved the fact that that's how it ends now I think a lot of people that were a little bit more um you know miffed about the ending it's a lot of people that had read the book the book does finish like this like he he does die but you know but then there is an epilogue chapter Mm -hmm. where he comes back susu goes and finds him and brings him back and there's like this reunion with um you know with him and his daughter and i think a lot of people just wanted that scene (laughs) as well um obviously yoku chose to go different direction but i think like just going back just a little bit because there's just like one line that i absolutely loved and it is like through their goodbye and it's um when susu says i didn't expect that my existence was made for your death oh my god and i'm like like and then like just stuff like she says to him um i have a lot to say to you and he goes "I'm i'm listening and she says I don't want it. You're just bad. I, like, I don't want to say it to you right now. I think, what does he say? Uh, yeah, she says, but you're too bad. I don't want to say them anymore. And it's like, oh, I'll my God. I'll tell you next time we and, meet. And, and the like, thing okay. is, you know that one of those things that she probably wants to is say I love to him you. is I love you. Is I love For you. 100%. But, yeah. But she, she is again in this position, again in this position where she has to kill him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's the, the whole situation from 500 years ago. But this time she knows there is no turning back. She knows there's no way she can have her cake and eat it too. Like she can't mm-hmm. save the world and save him. So I just feel like this was fitting because... Because also, the one person that everybody thinks is evil is the one person that saves the world. And it's like, it's such a fitting end to him Mm -hmm. as a character. He went from absolutely hating the world to being the only one who could save Mm -hmm. it. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's beautiful storytelling. And like I said, their legacy lives on in their daughter. And I just feel like her daughter's going to be doing great things. I love the scene where he... It was like in episode 38, I think. Uh, he. No, maybe not. No, 37. The Devil Palace is activated, and it's like a stunning scene where the broken pieces and boulders of this sanctum mm-hmm. are reassembling under his feet as he walked. I thought that was a really beautiful scene. You get that twin scene where him and the Devil God are facing off, and the Devil God's talking about his grand plan, about the chaos of the world, and all this bullshit. And I'm like, this is a great scene. Um, I don't know why, but the random vampire demon that happened in that episode where he was on this giant web in the barren abyss, I don't even know what the fuck was going on there, but she says, your blood contains a slight sweetness and a touch of sunshine. Uh And I was like, whoa, whoa, not the touch of sunshine. Um, again, a lot of pacing issues in the later episodes, just like we said, 
And I don't understand why for a few episodes there, like especially the last five episodes, it felt like Susu was on the back burner, not really a player necessarily. Just I I felt like they sidelined her too much and she was unconscious. She was late. She was this. She was running around the barren abyss for God knows how long trying to find the palace. It was like she wasn't really a factor in a lot of things there, but um, he creates his own Bore life. And they have sex in the boy life again. And there was a question online that I saw that someone was like, can you get pregnant inside Bora life? The answer is yes. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently you can. Evidently, yeah. it's yes. Um, but yeah, so she turns into the goddess. It's a very Ray Skywalker moment because she, like, he's pushing her to be the goddess and to kill off his her love for him so that she can achieve godhood through the heartless tactics which is like this really elaborate scheme that he comes up with but uh she does it and she sees all the gods that came before including her mom and they said oh we've been waiting for you and all this stuff the costume change for her being the goddess 10 out of 10 no notes on that Mm. and of course they have their goodbye it's sad as fuck and then to nail another nail in the coffin is she wakes up in the jing tombs and she realizes that he planned for his death and that he wrote his own epitaph on his mm-hmm. tombstone. Mm-hmm. Her hugging I the tombstone that. and crying. I, yeah. Yeah, I just can't. Because that scene is a throwback mm-hmm. to when he did that, when he went to visit like the tombs himself after she died. Mm-hmm. And also, like, I I I loved I just loved that whole that whole scene. And it's the fact that he writes um here lies like Yishiwu, beloved wife of Tantai Jing. Yes. But when it comes to his tombstone, he doesn't write beloved because at that point in time, he still doesn't believe that she loves him. I don't mean. So like on, on his, like on her tombstone, it says beloved, but on his tombstone, it does not. It just says like uh, the husband of, yeah, you know, oh. Yishiwu at that point. So I feel like it's like little things like that that just make this drama stand out. And also one of the lines that I also really, really loved. It's just a line that uh, Tsang Jumin's um, master says, and it's when he takes him back and like his master is dying, and he says, "No one is meant to live in the do- in darkness forever." Yes. And I'm like, that line is so powerful because that's exactly what he thinks his life is meant to mm-hmm. be. But he's had a taste of like the light and that he's decided that's where he wants to stay. And I feel like that line is really short, really to the point, but really powerful. I think it also just shows like like you they had comments throughout from especially like the demons, like interacting with when he became the devil lord again. They they kept telling him like you're different, like this is not the one that I encountered before, Mm. like you could tell that, like, between him going and re- and carving his own stone and it was a long, drawn-out plan and the decision that he made. And it was... I love the fact that it was his decision and, like, he chose, like, his own destiny and not having this prophecy do it for him. But even with like Bai Lu's character coming in and like saying like you're lying like you're you would never say that when he was saying all this mean stuff to her as the devil lord like people saw that it was different like a different character of him and i think that spoke to his character progression 
um, mm. from what it was at the beginning of the drama. Yeah. It also speaks to like Lee yeah. and Chi's acting because like it was just yeah. slight differences, mm -hmm. but it made such a big impact mm -hmm. on the character as a whole. And I feel like that's a strength that a an actor or an actress, not everyone has it, but when they do, God does it like it makes the performance like it takes it to the like it it distinguishes like it distinguishes a good actor from a great actor is like those little nuances and it's the fact that he was almost playing two characters at right. exactly the same mm -hmm. time and he showed it and like the audience could tell and Lee Su Su could tell and everybody could slightly tell there was something off with him so yeah I I I could nap on about his acting like for you know a whole day straightforward. To wrap up, I got some funny nitpicks for you guys. Let's see if you have any of your of your own. Um, actually, this is not so so funny. This is actually very serious. So the first time they're in Bode Life for Mingwei and Sungju's love story, they have sex. She's like, you owe me a wedding night, right? It, but he's, number one, drunk. Number two, she poisons him to incapacitate him so that they can have a wedding night. And I was like, this is clearly rape. And they it the poison like weakened him and made him mute and even though he clearly wanted her and loved her and kissed her back i just found it really pro problematic and i can't count it as a swoonworthy moment for me because i was like what is going on this is like wild i can understand her popping up and being like you owe me a wedding night but then she <laughs> poisons him on top of like him being drunk i was reeling over that because it felt very you know 10 years ago how you guys? How did um, you guys feel about that? I I was in two minds about it, and I'll explain why before everybody jumps on me. So I on one side I was like, okay, this isn't the right scene. It isn't a swoony scene, you know. I wasn't swooned by it. Um, but on the other hand, in terms of like these poisons there, or you know these fruits, whatever they're not meant to work on gods. So in theory, he shouldn't have been affected by it. <laughs> but the drama kind of showed he was. So that was a little bit confusing to me because when you're watching Shiantra and whatnot, these, you know, fruits and whatnot, they're not meant to have an effect on, you know, the true gods and so which Mingwei at that point was. So like for him to be this all powerful and to be affected by a drug such a like little drug he would have been able to kind of like take that drug out of him very quickly uh so it's like did he want it did he not i don't know either way it was still not you know not, it's not kosher uh, they could have gone yeah yeah they could have gone in a different way with that scene mm -hmm. um so yeah i i don't know i i was like i still think they could have written it differently mm -hmm. but also you know was he really affected by it was he not they kind of show he is but i feel yeah. like if the roles were reversed and he did that to her people would be up in arms yeah so there was a lot of people who were mm -hmm. though when it was airing a lot a lot of people picked up on it and they were like this isn't swoony this is so yeah. i saw like the reaction when that scene aired a lot of people were saying you know this isn't right and a lot of people picked up on it if it had been being way drugging yishiwu mm -hmm. it would have been the other way around you know people would have been completely up in arms about it now 
I don't know. I, I still think it could have been written differently. It could have been like, so to me, a slight change that would have made this scene work would have been if they kind of like showed him pretending to be affected by it to kind of like go with the scene if that does that make sense mm. like if he had kind of like purified the toxin out of his body and but kind of been like i'm not affected by it but i'm going to pretend to be affected by it to kind of like go with the scene because there should have been some sort of clearer consent or him like of course he like i said they muddied the waters with him he's kissing her back he really wants her he always loved her yeah. whatever but it's like you know it's not i still don't think it's okay Caitlin, did you have thoughts uh, on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I kind of had that same thing. Like, I I definitely thought, like, this was not kosher. It, it could have been written differently. Easily, as Lillian said, could have, like, made him not be affected yeah. by it, but choose to still go with it. I mean, and it also, it showed yeah. how bad her character was going to go. Like, it was just, like, that was the start of her descending into... Oh the evil side mm. um and i didn't like the fact that was the first scene of her like that was that was her essentially getting revenge in the first part and i didn't like that was the first scene of her showing that she was going to go into this path of getting revenge i thought they could have done that at a different place done it differently as well so i i completely agree mm -hmm. uh with both of you yeah um susu gave him a phoenix feather and we never kind of circle back on that i think the phoenix feather like woke him up at one point and that was it and then i thought oh this will have something to do with him coming back because phoenixes obviously have the tendency to stage a comeback and that was never explored or hinted at at all because he's his essence or whatever was inside the heart guarding scale so i don't know if you had that um nitpick either the Tantai Jin surviving for 500 years in the netherworld thing, I was like, how? Because I thought he was human. And it was just like, oh, we're just going to gloss over the fact that he lived for 500 years and he didn't age. Nothing happened to him. He's technically human, but he has the yeah. essence of a god. Just like so Yishiwu. She switched the immortal essence, the yeah. immortal essence kept Yeah, him. so not only does he have like the immortal essence, but he has some of the devil god's essence in him. That's what being like the devil fetus is about. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's how I saw it, that he would be able to survive because he already has that. He's His body is human, but his essence will keep him alive. Just like basically what happened to um, the, general. the general like his right. body is okay. human but okay. his essence is now immortal because they the essentially they also kind of essence. touched on that I think there was a conversation he had with Bailu's character once they got to the third era where I mean it was very discreet it wasn't like I survived because I had your essence but like I picked up on that due to that conversation so yeah there was a subtle conversation okay. my last nitpick is pretty funny though because <laughs> Okay, so the god of monsters and Tu Hong, the god of space, were a couple and they had Susu via spirit egg. Then my question is, do all the gods give birth via egg like a freaking bird or reptile? Or is it a spirit egg because Tu Hong was a phoenix and her essence is like a bird? In that case, can we presume that Susu also laid an egg to have their child? <laughs> like, um, I have this, like, weird... <laughs> Kaylin's laughing. 
Um, I think I think it depends on what uh-huh. clan you come from. Um, <laughs> so for like for them, it kind of makes sense for them to kind of like lay the egg or whatever because <laughs> they're not human. Like they are shaped, so they cultivate enough to take on the form of a human body. But their true form is whatever their clan is. So, like, for the goddess of space, Chua Hang, her true form is, like, you know, phoenix. So, phoenixes, you know, birds laying eggs. So, you're saying Susu laid an egg? Yeah. I would assume so. Like I, that that would be my rationale behind it. Again, like me, I'm just taking context from every, you know, every shiancha that I've watched. That they kind of go and take after their, you know, spirit okay. because that's what their spirit is. And you know, we see them as humans or you know, in human form. But they have to cultivate to get to human yeah. form. Right. So I mean, he was a dragon. So yeah, that's how so, I see it. And he reverted back to a dragon. Yep. and not in terms of shancha and also other lore in general like english literature the theory is dragons laid eggs as well so uh but uh the devil god was yeah a but Mingyu Mingyu was Mingye was so okay because he remember he he reverted into that small oyster as a dragon the little dragon like the little she, dragon like, yeah when in the dream sequence. <laughs> okay, I got, yeah, no, I understand. I was like, where are we going with the dragon thing? So, okay, I got it. So you're saying, okay, fine. So she laid an egg for sure, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, <laughs> did you guys have anything else you'd like to add? We've been here for a while, but uh, is there anything else you'd like to add about Till the End of the Moon before we call it? It was an epic story i think and i think in terms of um i'm just so i haven't read the book fully uh but i feel like the screenwriters did a really really good job with the adaptation because the source material for this is really really dark like it's a lot more abusive it's a lot more cruel the whole story of it so and in the book actually Susu never really loves him so she is completely 100% all about his you know the mission until pretty much the end of the book so they changed up a lot of things and I feel like they did a really 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 good job at adapting it into a much more palatable story Mm -hmm. for people to enjoy um I feel like you know I am not a fan of angst, but I loved every single <laughs> angst moment because it was done so well. And I feel like, you know, that tells you everything you need to know. You know, if a story can get you to enjoy something that you don't generally enjoy, mm-hmm. then it's done yeah. a really good job. So, yeah, I, I just loved it. Acting, writing, you know, even if it's... I love the fact that even if this drama had to be cut down, it still works. Mm. And that tells you all it needs to, you know, it tells you all it needs to do about the drama, I think. Caitlin, talk Um, to me. Well, anything else? Well, one, I have to get a shout out to the OSTs. I absolutely loved (gasps) the OSTs. Oh my God, yes. Oh my God, Um, yes, the OSTs. Jesus, (laughs) I'm so sorry. Yes, the OSTs. There was a particular, and I'm not going to know the song. I'm not going to know the artist, but there was a particular song that always came up. And it was a woman singing. Mm -hmm. And that would probably, 
that would probably be uh she's named sa ding ding and you'll know her because she does pretty much all the osts she has this very mm-hmm. like powerful voice and yeah that that'll probably be sa ding ding she does a lot of osts especially for shiancha and she not only does she compose but she writes she did work for um Lo- love between fairy and devil mm-hmm. as well and she, her work like her writing is 10 out of 10 i lo- if 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 her if she's credited on an ost mm-hmm. you know it's going to be good <laughs> And the score as well, the musical score. Yeah. Amazing. I yeah. thought it was really Yeah, so I just have to give a quick shout out to the music because I absolutely love the OSTs of this. I thought um, it speaks well for the t- OSTs when it adds emotional support to mm. the scenes that they're playing against um, as well as the score. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall, this was like, a, I have not watched a Shansha in a, in a, a little bit. Um, so it was... I love the fact, even though I had to binge this in two weeks, I like the fact that you made me do it just because I missed the Shantra genre. Um, and now I want to watch another Shantra drama right away. Um, so I think this is, would I recommend this to somebody as their first Shantra drama? Probably not. Not at all. Um, oh, no. Because no. it's no. just, there's so much. No. Angst, <laughs> but, um, Actually, in fact, in fact, uh, <laughs> fuck no. <laughs> no um, but I mean, I think if you are a fan of the genre and you haven't seen this, you should see it at some point. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm the one, the particular who like. I will watch anything, right? I will watch any type of thing. I will drop <laughs> stuff if I don't like it. So I definitely have dropped dramas that other people absolutely love. I don't really take reviews or opinions to make me decide if I'm going to watch something or not. So I've had a couple people mm-hmm. message me after they know I finished this, like, what did you think of the ending? Do you think it's worth the watch? I think you should still watch this because I think your reaction to the ending depends on you depends on what Mm. you because it is as liliana said it's an open ending it's not a bad ending it's not like everybody dies and is decimated and like it's a Mm -hmm. horrifically sad ending but i think it's right he's just dead he's not dead dead he's just dead like yeah in shansha is anybody really ever dead in shansha that that's all you got to think about shansha unless you have not one single little you know scale of you left (laughs) there's a way to bring you back that's how shansha works if you are listening to this and you are debating starting it because you heard that it was a sad or horrifically sad ending, I really think you should still watch this um, because I think you're really missing Mm -hmm. out on some really good acting, really good music, really good story. I mean, the way that we were invested in this story just speaks to how good it was. Yeah. Um, So I would highly recommend this drama and just interpret the ending how you want to interpret it as. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's open ended, and I think it was more a more, yeah. a more positive yeah. ending. Um, so before we get out of here, let us know where we can find you guys online, Liliana. I know you have um, some handles you'd like to share, and of course, Caitlin, my girl, you have uh, handles as well. 
Uh, yeah, so I'm over on Instagram and it's T and Soju Pod and it's all one word and also on Twitter, T underscore Soju underscore Pod. And if you like Chinese dramas, that's mainly what I talk about over on the T and Soju Asian Drama Podcast. And you can find that on pretty much, you know, all your streaming platforms. So yeah, that's um, me. And I have a blog. I do not have a podcast, but it's no sleep for, as in the number four, dramas.com. So I do reviews and all this other stuff. Uh, and I also have an Instagram and Twitter under that same name, uh, no sleep for dramas, the number four. All of their handles will be linked so you can follow them. Please do. They're wonderful resources. If you have, if you want recommendations for K-dramas or C-dramas, please reach out to them. Uh, I mean, all of us will be gladly talk to you about K-dramas and C-dramas, <laughs> but for this episode, C-dramas especially and Xianxia's, they've watched definitely more than me. So definitely reach out and get your recs and uh, be friendly with them. They're, they're wonderful resources, wonderful friends in the community. And I'm so glad to have shared this experience with you guys. And with that, that's been our show. I'm Jessica, and this has been the Debak K Rambles podcast. <laughs>